A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you Everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Down. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. Second captain, first captain, whatever. You're very welcome to the Irish Times Second Captain's Podcast after a wonderful weekend. And I'm going to go right ahead and steal a line out of Maddie Clerkin's piece from Tullamore on the front page of the sports section of today's Irish Times. So hopefully he won't mind or hopefully he won't hear one way or the other. <laughs> I, I, I will be in the clear all going well. He described Galway Kilkenny as a game of brazen unpredictability. And I think the World Cup has been an entire tournament of brazen unpredictability, mm. which is why we all watch sport in the first place, Murph, isn't it? It is kind of it, you know, and I think that there's a large element of when we're talking about it, we want things to be predictable or at least to go the way that we've predicted uh, from the point of view of our own uh, ego and self-esteem and trying to display in some way that we know exactly what's going to happen. But the whole idea of it, as you say, is actually that it's entirely unpredictable. Uh, and that's where the fun of it this is. Comes. It. And if you take Galway, Kilkenny, or the World Cup, I think, and I, I understand your point, you do get that sense that we all like to feel like we are right in pronouncements that mm. we make, but it's just been so crazy that I don't think anyone minds that they're getting everything wrong. Too many times I've heard World Cup pundits say, well, stop asking me for predictions because mm. I have no idea what's going on. And a similar could be said, I would imagine, for the hurling season this year which is already shaping up to be better than last year was a bit crappy in retrospect wasn't it it was terrible there weren't enough storylines really I mean Galway weren't strong for a start thankfully thankfully uh, this year is finally reaching some kind of the standard (laughs) of which we now expect of the the hurling challenge but I mean it's it's true of life as well Owen people like to feel like they're in control that they know what's happening that in some way you know that they they have it in their own hands their destiny is in their own hands when of course life and sport is all about Taking what you think you know and making that, you know, making your making you look like a fool for ever even thinking such things. We're going to be talking Galway, Kenny. The replay is set for Tullamore next Saturday night at seven pm. You look super excited already, Murph. It's only Monday. You got to hold on to your. Hmm. I am. I am extremely excited, but I'm also slightly worried uh, that there are a lot of World Cup games on 
Uh, so I, I've, I've, I've hatched a plan. Um, it's only in the, the infancy stages at the moment. But um, if anyone would like to invite me into their homes in the Tullamore region for me to sit down, perhaps eat some, f- eat some food, maybe get some dinner or something like that, um, not not like three courses or four courses. Well, even, well, soup and dinner, and I Carver, yeah. something like that. You know, um, five to quarter to seven. I actually, you know what? It has to be Tullamore. It actually has to be somewhere quite close to the ground as well. Uh, go to the hurling game and then hightail it back to Dublin. I suppose depending on the the welcome that I get in this as yet unnamed Tullamore house, I could go back and watch the second game. Yeah, maybe have a few pints, stay overnight. Actually, you know what? No, maybe maybe I'm overreaching here. You know, just the first game. If, if I can just find some place to watch the first game. We'll have a fun. bunch of people down there, Murphy, will take you in. They're called publicans. They've got houses open to not just you. Anyone yeah. can go into these places well, at I, any I, stage, I, really. I like hearing the commentary on. Oh, sure, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we have Mickey English and Mars O'Brien to talk about all this in a little while. A double is on for you, Kieran. Galway footballers beat Sligo. Shane yeah. Kern is in studio on that. but That's what everyone in Galway is saying this weekend. Yeah. The double is very much odd. We're also going to talk about the sport as a whole with Shane Kern. What sort of encouragement can be taken, for example, from the heroics of the Tip and Clare footballers and Longford, who actually got the job done and sealed the deal against Derry. But we're going to start by talking about one of second captain's favourite sports people in the world, Murph Dervil O'Rourke, announced her retirement today. So it's uh, it, it's sad. I, I sh- you should never feel too sad when somebody retires in the sense that well, that should be outweighed, is what I'm trying to say, by the positivity around that person's achievements. And in Dervil's case, it's unbelievable. She's been struggling in recent times with an Achilles injury. Released a statement today. Here's a small bit of it. It's been a tough decision, but it feels like the right time. I knew I could compete this season, but not in a time to be in medal contention by European outdoors. Going to a champion- championships just to be there isn't me. Her major championship record is absolutely staggering. 2006, Moscow gold in the World Indoor Championships. European Championships 2006, 2010, silvers outdoor in both those events. The European Indoors in 2009 and 2013, a bronze medal in each of those. That's five major medals. And remember, fourth place in the World Outdoor World Championships as well. We spoke to Derville a while back about that first medal, winning the World Indoor Gold in 2006 and the pressure that created. She said that going into that event, there was no pressure, really. Nobody, and she wasn't especially high profile in the athletics world at that stage. And she went in, won the thing. And after that, the pressure was on. She felt she had to always strive to do that again Mm. and to get right back to the very top, which is in some cases what can destroy a career when you achieve success like that early on. But she managed to find a way to repeatedly get to that sort of a level. So congratulations to Derbal on an amazing career. Yeah, rather than uh, commiserate on a retirement, uh, congratulations on a a brilliant career. We'll have her, yeah, former teammate David Gillick on in just a few minutes. But Jerry Kernan is with us now. Jerry, are you surprised at all, first of all, by Derbal's decision? Uh, not at all. She had an operation uh, in last uh, September, and you know, I mean, I've I haven't heard anything really about her since. I mean, we're six or seven weeks out from the European Championships, and normally now she'd be running some races, and she'd be getting, and her times were used to come down incrementally, and then she'd go to the championships, and then she would perform like she always performed, you know, in in a top top way. So for her having achieved what she's done, I mean, to me, she's the moral victor uh, in Barcelona in two thousand and ten because she was beaten by, by the Turk who has subsequently been disqualified. So she has nothing really to gain. Um, her legacy, uh, what she's done, is, is copper-fastened. So she's doing the right thing. Yeah, Unless she could actually at least 
compete on a level to where she was, let's say, at the World Championships in 2011. Uh, there really wasn't much point in just... People like her just simply don't go to make up numbers. They go to compete. Yeah, and that's what she even said there, that second sentence. It just wouldn't be her to go to a championships just, just to be there. What is the, the... You mentioned the word legacy there. What is Derville's legacy and what can other athletes learn from her career? Because we know that athletics, there's such it's a genuinely international sport. There's a huge depth in any event that any Irish athlete is going to have to compete in. And it can be difficult to rise right to the top of the sport. But she's managed to do that. What can other athletes actually learn from Derville's career? Uh, I'm not too sure. Uh, Derville is, is particularly uh, unique. Um, I suppose that also as well involves another discussion as to you know how, com- how competitive certain uh, events are. But when you consider what she's done, she went to the World Indoors in 2006 and ran a personal best and won a world championship. Then she went to the European Outdoors that summer and she won a silver medal running a national record. She went to the Europeans uh, in 2010, uh, finishing second, running a national record. And then she finished fourth which to my mind is her best ever performance in the World Championships where she ran the existing uh, Irish record, which I think is 1265. Um, she's always done it in championships and her form before the championships have been so moderate that people like me who have to who have to make pronouncements yes. on how she's going to do are generally pessimistic because, because I mean, I back horses and I back form and I'm always going on current form and her form before these championships would be very, very modest and she goes out there then and she runs way beyond she's doing. So, it's an inter- well. The, the interesting question would be: What is it about her in these championships? Is it is it a fear of failure that that makes her rise to such heights? Because most people, when there's a fear of fear of failure, it's actually counterproductive. It's worse they become. Yeah, but you, it got to the it, it got to the stage that when she went to championships, you knew she could perform despite what she was doing leading up to those championships. I've heard her and, say before, uh, Jerry. Sorry to cut across. If it's a, I heard her say before that she knows, particularly after after achieving that success in the world indoors she knew from quite early on that she had this strength mentally that she was she knew she was going to perform and she felt that maybe other athletes knew that too so she noticed that they one or two of the other athletes would start dropping off mentally a little bit and that would then feed her confidence it's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy that she became stronger as one or two other athletes became weaker well, well, in a way, but but if you actually, if you actually look at the stats, they didn't run badly. It's just that she had run. I mean, when she ran in those two Europeans and the World Indoors and and in the Worlds in 2000, she had never ran as fast. So here she was going on these championships and running a time which puts to my mind. I didn't think she was actually capable of doing. I mean, the others didn't run badly at mm. all. I mean, they ran up, they ran up to their best, but she ran better than she'd ever run before, which it made it very difficult to prognosticate as to what she was going to do. But in the end, I kind of got a hand on the whole thing and said, no matter what she's doing in these minor races beforehand, uh, I mean, she was never invited to run really in, in, in the Grand Prix because the people in charge of Grand Prix would look at her time and say 13.2, 13.1, not good enough. We have, to, we have to have some person who can run under 12.8. And then she goes around into these championships and runs 12.65 in the finals and stuff like that. It's just incredible stuff. Is it primarily a mental strength then? Is that what you're, the way you would describe it, her ability um, to perform? Well, well, it's fair to say, Owen, that most people who go to championships do not perform up to their best. Most people don't. And I and I keep telling people that if you can go to a championship and if you can come, if you can approximate your best, you'll have a good championship because most people actually don't do it. She went a step further. She went beyond her best. That's what she was doing. She went beyond her best. And, and she was, in that respect, she was truly amazing, but impossible to predict at the same time. Yeah, um, an absolutely amazing career. Jerry, great to talk to you. Thank you. All right, Bye-bye.
let's just get straight over to Derville's former teammate, David Gillick. David, we were talking earlier on about uh, just a few minutes ago, the idea that there is, a, of course, a sadness when somebody finishes up. But really what you should be looking at here is the positives of a career, which has been absolutely amazing, especially at major championships. How did she do it, do you think? She's brilliant, you know. I think there's so many positives to talk about in Derville's career and she achieved so much. And, you know, I suppose I had the pleasure on been various trips with her at major champs and she was just a, like a, a great competitor um, and it was great to see that in an Irish person. Um, you know, she was a type of athlete that she would never focus on the negatives, um, you know, how her training went or anything like that throughout the year. She'd always just get to the line and just get her head into it and uh, perform. And I think that's um, a credit to herself. And, you know, when you consider the medals that she's won, world, European medals, like a world champion as well, it's phenomenal. And I think from my perspective, she inspired me and I'm sure she inspired so many others. You, you talk about her being inspirational there. Is that because of uh, the, specifically because of her ability to shed any negative baggage as you talk about there and just think about how to be at her very best yeah you know and I think like there's so many so many levels to be honest it was a sprint event and you know Ireland we weren't renowned for our sprinters um, and when you see an Irish person do well in a sprint event it, and as I'm a sprinter it gives you great kind of belief um, and when you see someone go out and just attack races and, and beat opposition and come away with medals, it gives you that belief as a nice person that, you know, we can um, do well in, in an event that we're not, we're not used to or not uh, supposed to do well in. And um, I think Derville just changed that landscape and paved the way for hopefully so many more and inspired people and younger athletes that, you know, as, as Irish sprinters, we can uh, be up there with the best of them. And, you know, there's kind of certain athletes out there, you know, they kind of focus on, say, the negatives of how their year have gone, you know, whether through injuries and little things like that. And, you know, Derville always kind of managed to put that to one side when it came into the championship. And I think if you go back to, like, 2009, when she finished fourth in the World Champs, like, I'm sure if you asked her, she, she wouldn't have had um, the best of training years. She had little niggles and stuff like that. But she was able to put that all to one side and just focus in on the job in hand and that was running the championship and run well and that's what she did. It was it was an amazing achievement. And that's really interesting, David, because we do hear about sports people that sometimes if there's an excuse there that maybe in your own head you can think, well, I was a bit injured or, or mm. something happened with the coach. It's almost a ready-made excuse for you just to go in at 97 or 98% and not quite achieve. So one of her great strengths seems to be Forget about that. You know, the, yeah. the, the, there are no excuses. I'm in control of my own destiny here. Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, you hit the nail on the head. Like, you know, in, in athletics, you've basically got nine months of preseason where you're putting all that effort in. You're, you're sharpening the axe, so to speak. And, um, you know, so much can go, can go right, so much can go wrong. And, you know, depending on the type of athlete you are, that can actually kind of bring you down as it comes to your championship. And, like, Derville always just put that to one side. No matter what happened, never fo- focus on the negative and got out there and performed when it really, really mattered. And that's where we see all her championships. She's just managed to get medals uh, when it really, really mattered. And I think she was a championship performer. She produced some of her best runs, national records, when it mattered most uh, in championship finals. I touched on this earlier on with, with Jerry Kiernan, but I want to ask you, do you think, you did say she's been inspirational for you. Do you think that what the qualities you talk about here are transferable can other Irish athletes look at what Derville has done how she has done it and hope to mirror that or is she kind of just a uniquely positive steely competitor and that's and and it's actually almost a standalone career no I think you know success breeds success and I think it's you know when you see an Irish person do that uh, and do it 
with distinction and get medals, that can only spur you on. Obviously, as an individual, you have your own uh, characteristics um, that are non-transferable, but I do think there's ways and means that you can get that across to the next generation through your planning, through your your rootlessness in training and your approach to your training and your setup as well. All these little things that you can help the next generation and get across to people to take control of their own destiny and um, you know look after number one. And I think they're the qualities that Derville possesses and has showed throughout her career. And I think one major, major factor is that just a simple thing of you seeing an Irish person going out and, and win a medal in an event that, you know, you know, I'm a sprinter, I run 400, people would have said, oh, you should be, you know, doing middle distance. Mm. But you have that true belief. And I think when you see other Irish athletes doing well in the sprinting um, events, it, it, it can only push things forward and only give more belief to the next generation coming through. Yeah, that's a hell of a legacy. David, listen, thanks so much for, talk to you, uh, for talking to us, I should say. Thank you. No problem, thanks. I really like that point by David that, and this isn't just confined to sport, but we're talking quite broadly about life in general here, Murph. But there are a lot of people always willing to talk about what somebody can't do. Mm. It's nice to hear that David saw Derville as an inspiration. Hopefully people see Derville and David Gillick as inspirations in the narrower world of athletics, that they, people can be inspired to actually think, well, I can be a sprinter. Just because Irish people aren't necessarily supposed to be world-class at sprinting doesn't mean that you definitely, definitively can't do it. And that's as good a legacy, I think, as any sports person can yeah. leave, that they can make people believe that they can get to that level. Yeah, not everyone has uh, Derville's attitude towards life. And I, I, I think that maybe it's not a very Irish thing that Derville has, this unshakable confidence in herself, a refusal to listen to people telling you, as you say, what you can't do, being down on... Accepting what's always happened in the past as the thing that's always going to happen in yeah. the future. That's one thing that Derville never, ever did. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, if you're talking legacy, you know, sometimes you can over-egg that as well, you know, uh, the legacy of great sports people. Maybe the legacy of great sports people is just... Have a great career. <laughs> yeah, it's for that person, you know, like the legacy is right. for the individual. Whereas I think with someone like Derville, there is actually things that transcend even her own sport that Irish people can can take can take for themselves and be really proud of. Great news for you. The Irish Times Second Captain's World Cup podcast is ready for your consumption. Let's head over to Natal for a little taster. Yeah, you can laugh. That was the World Cup. So, Ken, please tell us what we've been talking about earlier on today. (laughs) Uh, well, we're going to talk, Owen, about uh, what was happening in the World Cup over the weekend. Um, we're going to talk about uh, Belgium and Argentina and how they uh, so far have, have really failed to impress. Although Lionel Messi seems to be uh, building towards something with his second winner in two games, and um, I think look forward to some of the some of the football that's on today. I have I probably haven't made it sound that good, Owen, but I'm telling you, you should go and listen to it now because it's better than I've made it sound. Well, that's okay. I mean, I, I guess you've. You've picked up towards the end of this promo and you have actually successfully promoted what we were talking about earlier. And you haven't even mentioned, Ken, that you were at the possibly the game of the tournament so far, Germany against Ghana. I mean, that this is incredible. And I know, well, we've had the chat, so we've talked already quite a lot about Germany, but we didn't even give Ghana their due praise for their incredible performance. It must have been great to watch. Yeah, they were, uh, they were fantastic. A lot better of a team than Portugal. Um, uh, whose life is now in their hands, as Sully Montari said. Portugal have a life in their hands um, if they drop it 
there's nothing we can do about it. So let's hope Portugal don't drop Garner's life. All right, well, you can have a listen to the Irish Times Second Captain's World Cup podcast to hear that. Thanks, Ken. Thanks, Alan. Yeah, so World Cup, absolutely amazing. Hurling Championship, absolutely incredible. Football Championship, almost got there over the weekend. We almost had not one but two shocks for the ages, both in Munster. Now, we did get Longford winning against Derry in the qualifiers, which is great, but doesn't doesn't quite register in the same way as particularly a tip win. Well, or a Clare win against Kerry, tip mm. against Cork would have over the weekend. Shane Curran is in studio. Shane, how are you? I'm great, Owen, and yourself? Not bad at all. You're getting a chance to watch some of the football, I hope, with the, the World Cup going on. I'm, I'm sure you're... Oh, I'm stuck to it, yeah. yeah well. I'm stuck to it. It's great, you know. I think it's been... You know, and the summer weather as well. It's it's uh, Everybody's in good form. The World Cup is... is uh, yeah great tournament so far and we've we've had a couple of upsets in it with England going home and Spain going home and we've you know the Costa Ricans coming to the fore and some of the, the I suppose teams that people thought would traditionally be very strong maybe not showing their, their strongest hand the Argentinians yeah. and Brazilians just struggling at the moment You said everybody looks to be in good form and Murph certainly is beaming you might notice this is a man whose county Galway just avoided a fairly horrible piece of history because if they had lost the Sligo Saturday, what, what was the stat, Murph? It would have been it the first time. The, in the first time since 1908 that we hadn't been in a Connacht final for five straight years. So what can I say? Well, I'm, I'm high on life. Uh, that's the sort of stat that, you know, it's not really anything to be, you know, writing home about. And uh, we were in Markovic Park and, uh, yeah, like, reasonably excited about the about what Galway should. But, yeah, there are, there are concerns at the same time that Mayo are on the horizon. Shane, did they show enough for you? Um, yes and no. I, I think, um, you know, Galway have challenges, uh, there's no doubt. And, uh, you know, if you look at look at their scoring, their scoring stats from Saturday evening, um, Shane Walsh, I think, acquitted for, and Cummins acquitted for almost 70% of the scores. Yeah, it's 10 out 10, of 10 out 16. Out of 16. Yeah. So, um, that's going to be an issue. But I think Mayo are probably one of the best tackling teams left in the championship. They tackle very, very well under the tutelage of Donny Buckley. They've really perfected that art. And modern, the modern day game coaches have sit down and analyse, um, you know, where the strong points and weak points are in opposition teams. And obviously Galway's strong point is around the middle of the field, to be fair. Both of the players there, O'Coroin and um, Tom, Flynn, yeah. Tom Flynn, were outstanding. Uh, Tom Flynn is from Athen Rye. It's not a hotbed of a football by any uh, no. stretch of the imagination, but he's an exceptional young footballer. He's uh, he's in the mould, I think, of, of Joe Bergen, uh, probably more athletic and, and better, and a great young player. But Shane Walsh was outstanding. So the problem probably for Galway going into the Mayo game, it's going to be in Castlebar. Um, Mayo will set up really to target those players around the middle of the field and that mentioned Shane Walsh and if Galway can, can improve maybe around there and bring in a couple other players into the game maybe uh, maybe they can put it up to Mio but I'd have to say Mio are probably going to be the favourites Yeah Shane Walsh you mentioned <coughs> there is my new footballing hero Murph mm. I have to say having seen him in the flesh he was just absolutely superb and the type of player in fact their entire half forward line and a lot of their forwards full stop did have a, a lot of pace now I know the kind of runs they were making driving through the centre of the defence probably won't be allowed to happen against the better teams. But if Mayo are as heavy-legged, might be the best way of putting it, as they were against Roscommon, Shane, would you think that maybe 
they could struggle against that kind of pace. Well, well you could see maybe um, with the last 10 to 15 minutes of yesterday's game when, when Galway went the five points clear, that the, there's a marked uh, difference to, to maybe to the traditional Galway method of playing football and style of playing football um, in the past in that he dropped players back what we have now we hold mm-hmm. and I think the mauling that they got last year in, in Pure Stadium is raw and it's still vivid in the memory of, of Alamon Holland and his selectors and I think you know they will take a lot of positives out of the Roscommon performance containment performance against, against Mayo but can they contain and can they be offensively strong as well? And that's the getting that balance is going to be their 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 core problem. They have the player. I mean, you know, he's he's a right right good player. But does he have enough of support around the pitch? That's something we'd we'd have to have to question. I think yesterday Eddie Hoare at full forward, he ended up a lot of the time around the middle of the third. So they didn't necessarily play a sweeper system, but they did play a congestive game around that middle third to develop. Uh, openness maybe for Walsh to get into Mayo will have that marked out I've no doubt but you know the Mayo half back line are a very free flowing sort of team as well they don't traditionally go for man marking to their cost we've seen that in the past and we've discussed this mm. that tactically they've, they've proven that they're not able to maybe do that um, but against Galway I think they'll have to tar- they will target Walsh there's no doubt about that uh, and if they can keep Walsh quite do they in essence then keep Galway quite and um, stop them from, from being competitive in the match yeah, I mean, Shane Walsh and Danny Cummins are the two guys that, as you said, scored 10 points out of the 16. They're, they're really good young players, but they're, they're, they're players that, as of right now, can't win their own ball, can't dictate a championship game, particularly a game uh, in Castlebar. We haven't seen it yet, and, and Castlebar will be the acid test of that. But they're young players. They're the sort of players, I would say, that Keith Higgins is rubbing his hands together, basically, I can't wait to have a crack off Shane Welsh. Guys like Keith Higgins, guys like Lee Keegan, they're seasoned championship players now. Uh, You know, Cafferkey even at full-back. Like, these are guys that, you know, they've been up against the best for the last three or four years. Shane Welsh and Danny Cummins are really, really high-potential players. But I, I, you know, as a goal person, I would be pessimistic about seeing Shane Welsh Hitting three points from players, six points in total against uh, against Mayo and Castlebar. I, you know, I'd love to see it. I, I don't think I don't think we will see it though. Well, the challenge from Sligo was, uh, you know, we spoke was very mm. kind. It was benign. It was like a kind of a, a park game, really. You know, yeah. played under the sun and, yeah. and under, under the, <laughs> yeah. the beautiful the beautiful yeah. surroundings of of, the, of of Ben Bulban. Ben, ben Bulban. But you know, it, it, will, it will be a diff, more far more difficult challenge against Mayo. There's no doubt about that. But going back to Shane Walsh, you know, he, he his his skill set is superb. I mean, yesterday he could kick Paul balls off his off his left foot. He was kicking forty fives off. His Right, he can switch from left to right, left hand, right hand. He's he's just a, he's an excellent, excellent talent. There's no doubt about mm. that. I think the and first time people might have seen him was playing in a Hogan Cup final for St. Charlotte's, and he was actually taking frees off the ground with his left hand. Yeah, his and right. this is what I liked about him. He was a little bit unorthodox as well. He struck me as a kind of player that you don't really know what he's going to do. You don't know when yeah. he's going to take, and that can sometimes be a negative. But maybe you're talking about the experienced defenders like Keith Higgins and Cafferkey and these guys. I'd imagine what most defenders want, Shane, is a player who they, they understand what he's going to do. They know, okay, this guy's a Kieran Donahue. We know what he's going to bring. This guy's whatever. Whereas maybe with a young player like this who has an interesting skill set, 
he might take them, catch him on a hop a little bit. Well, yeah, well, you say maybe unorthodox one, but it's not that he's unorthodox, it's, it's that he's got such a range of skills yeah. and people can't identify what he's going to do. And, and that is I think something he doesn't know what he's going to do as well, yeah, which is a slight problem. Yeah, maybe, maybe the times he plays off the cuff, you know, but that's because he's young and, and, you know, he's got that energy and that enthusiasm for it. And possibly, you know, he needs to understand the game a little bit more tactically. But that will come in time, I've no doubt about that. But outside of that, I thought Flynn was outstanding. I thought, you know, um, O'Coroin in the middle of the field was outstanding as well. Um, Mayo had problems there against Roscommon. And, um, you know, it took them to the last 10 minutes really to close the game out. And there were three points down on 63. Uh, the introduction of Andy Morton made a big difference to Mayo that time. So, you know, there is there is a chink of light there at the end of the tunnel, without a doubt. The interesting thing about Galway, um, and I, I find it maybe a little bit peculiar, there was 13 different clubs represented on their team yesterday and only one from Currafin. Yeah. And Currafin are without doubt the dominant uh, club in Galway. Michael Lundy was the only player and he was he was subbed on, on I think, 50-something odd minutes and no Currafin player came in. So I just wonder, you know, is there, are there players in Galway that aren't Gary Sice for, for one example um, that aren't involved in the squad that maybe should be is there things going on in the background that we don't know about well that's it you know I mean I think like the certainly with the cur- the Curfin question is very well put because Curfin are as far ahead of all the other clubs in Galway as any other club team are in comparison to the other clubs in their county in Ireland I would say mm-hmm. they're just streets ahead now and the way Curfin play is very much a possession based game it's ideally suited for inter-county football there's, you know, there there are guys in Curfin. There's not Curfin have never produced a Michael Donnan or a Porrick Joyce, and that's kind of what's always held them back <laughs> from being a hugely successful club team. Uh, I mean, they've won in Ireland already, but um, I think uh, there are there are players in Curfin of a similar standard. Maybe they're less inclined to to actually commit to Galway when they know that there's, you know, there are huge uh, titles to be won for for Curfin. I mean. I, th- I think the size issue is is a huge one. You know, Gary Sice was Galway's, along with Paul Conroy, their best player in the championship last year, and he made himself unavailable after being taken off in a league game. And you know, it's 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 not very nice. It, Galway would be much much more able to beat Mayo if Gary Sice was. There are also team than a couple otherwise. of other players, not Curfin players necessarily, but who've been left off for discipline, disciplinary reasons. So you would have to wonder what exactly that, that maybe they're. There are issues bubbling away under the surface there and that could be exposed by Mayo. But I do want to move around the country a little bit because some of the smaller counties <coughs> almost had their day in the case of the two teams down in, Mun- uh, in Munster, Tip and Clare. And Longford did have their day by beating Derry, Shane. Is that a sign that there's, uh, to use your phrase there, a chink of light for the weaker counties in Gaelic football? No, it's not. <laughs> and, and anybody that thinks that it is has is, is, is been foolhardy and foolish. Um it's great for the people of Longford, absolutely. Without a doubt, we were only speaking about having a couple of pints last night. Uh, you know, it's a sort of, of, of victory that can give um, counties like Longford a shot or a boost in the arm. And Clare and, and Tipperary running, running the respective Corks and Kerry's close. OK, you can argue and say, well, okay, there's a chink of light at the end of the time. But there isn't. The chasm between the top and the bottom teams is huge. It's so significant that I think it could be detrimental to the game. Um, over time and we are seeing um, you know a huge disparity between the haves and the have nots let's look at the Longford result in, in totality and let's explain it um, Derry are Division 1 side ok Longford are now Division 4 side but that Derry team yesterday was short 6 of the players who played in the Division 1 final 
three of them, uh, two through immigration and the rest through injury. They were without Fergal Doherty and Patsy Bradley in the middle of the field, which is the first choice midfielders. So you, when you take 33% of your side, your top class players out of a Division 1 team, no matter which ones they are, you're going to be left with the, with the void. The only team that, can't, that can, they can get away with that is Dublin. That's it. The rest of them can't. Um, there obviously are probably wider issues in Derry as to why they're not uh, functioning properly. Um, but t- to go back to, uh, to the question, we've had maybe 100 and odd 25, 30 years of tradition in the GEA of almost a rite of passage to uh, competition uh, for every county, irrespective of their ability to, to be able to compete. Now, I for the life of me, don't understand how teams can put 10, 11, 12 months preparation into getting 140, maximum 210 minutes of football and their players left wondering and scratching their heads for the rest of the summer when they should be playing football. So the likes of, of, and I would include Roscommon in this, the likes of Roscommon, Leitrims, Sligo's, Clares, Division 2, Division 3 teams, Division 4 teams. There has to be a competition set up from them. And I think the elephant in the room here is the leagues are just not working. Okay, I think they need to be parked aside. And something needs to come in that will give, the, give a meaningful sort of competition to these players for them to earn, and counties, to earn the right of passage into an All-Ireland Championship proper. Okay, so you're advocating... Not just the very bottom teams, the likes of Carlo being involved, uh, as has been mooted in a secondary competition, but right up to Division 2 teams. But they shouldn't necessarily automatically have the right to have a go at Cork and Kerry and Dublin. I think there's some of them that just aren't capable of it. And, and that's the, the reality. Um, you, you will have a separation and you will have counties and it will be highly emotive. Um, and this won't happen overnight but there has to be I think there has to be some joined up thinking that needs to be done in it because the game is falling on its feet around the country people don't see it necessarily maybe in the highly urbanised areas but when you go down into what I call the waste grounds and rural rural parts of Roscommon Mayo even uh, rural parts of of, uh, Galway rural parts of Sligo Leitrim Offaly um, there's no footballers you know and that a lot, a lot of the reason for that, or we're not developing footballers at the rate we should be, is because of population, Even immigration. In Mayo? Uh, Mayo probably, to be fair, Mayo are probably an example. But you would have a lot of West Mayo guys that don't get the opportunity to play for Mayo just because of where they're from, uh, geographically. Um, but I think to go back to the rite of passage, I, I just I think there needs to be a demarcation between the top teams. And we'll say second tier teams. And the second tier teams need to be able to up their standards to get into that top tier to have meaningful competition going forward. Um, one could argue now that the football championship is condensed into six weeks of the year. Mm. You know, and you have got a lot of nothing games. I mean, you take the Cork, uh, and from a presentation point of view, you take Cork and Tipperary yesterday. The presentation was terrible. You're looking at a concrete jungle porky quave with absolutely nobody in it, maybe 2,000, 3,000 people in the stand at a championship match. And we're all excited about Tipperary running Cork uh, to two or three points. That's not the future. And I don't think it, it's the future for the GE. What is the future? Then? How do you envisage the, the structure, as you suggested there? You said get rid of the league for a start. I think the, the league. I think the league is is a nothing nothing competition now. And I think we need to look at some form of a Champions League type format, um, structured in such a way that 
teams that are in the middle ground, the middle third, maybe the likes of the Roscommons, uh, the likes of maybe for Man in the past, uh, Monaghan, teams like that, even though Monaghan are in another Ulster final, maybe not a good example. But there are numerous examples of teams, the likes of Kildare, you know, um, who are Division 1, Division 2, but they're not really at elite level. That they're split up into, into groups outside of their, their provinces and there's real competition among among counties. And you you I think what you do then is you you develop a better better form of player in these weaker counties by giving them competition and giving them something to aim at. That's a lot more dramatic than what the FRC are proposing and I don't know how much support there is for the FRC proposals, but it would appear that most people seem to feel that there needs to be more done. It doesn't make sense. And the FRC essentially are saying the teams that lose early on in Ulster and in Leinster get popped down into the other provinces. Yeah. And then you have a sh- I think provincial the- competition from there. Which is, yeah, there's a certain logic too, but it seems like, is that really going to change? People have a problem, about? I think, with that uh, solution from both ends of it. Uh, the, the people that want real change say it's not enough change. And then there there's the rump of conservative people who would just say no to that because it, it uh, affects the, the provincial mm. system in whatever way. So people are saying it's too much change and then there's, you know, the people who actually want change are saying it's not enough change. So I, I think that there doesn't appear to be much support for it. I don't know if there's going to be, you know, there, I'm sure there will be extensive lobbying over the course of the winter to try and get that over the line. Yeah, a lot of people thought the black card wouldn't be gotten yeah. over the line. For and it was, you know, they, they managed to they managed to convince people over the course of three or four months that that was actually possible. Now, I, I, to be honest, I think that that's a start. And I think that what Shane is talking about there, as you said, it's going to take a long time. Maybe the start of it is a situation whereby, OK, let's get it into a... Uh, let's get the championship into a structure where everyone who has to win the All-Ireland has to win the same amount of games. That, you know, like, talk about baby steps. That's the first baby step that you need to take to say... Okay, the championship starts on the twentieth of May, and all of these preliminary games will have been played. The idea, I think, is that they play that at the end of April, start of May. The draw is then made, and you have on the twentieth of May or the twenty-fifth of May or whatever the second last Sunday, last Sunday in May. Everyone starts from the same from the same spot. So if you if you want to win the All Ireland, you've got you've got to win seven games, or whatever six games. But everyone has that same amount, and I think that that's that's a start. Now, I think your point is well made about the league as well. Why spend four months playing a a competition where the longer it goes on, the less people are interested in it? Mm -hmm. I don't don't think there's a sporting event in the world that gets less interesting the deeper into it you go. The first game, under lights, it's all very exciting. By by the end of it, teams just want to be preparing for... Teams are asking themselves at the semi-final stage, do I want to win this? Does, you know, getting to a National League final actually harm my chances of winning the first round of the championship. I mean, that's ridiculous. I am quite taken, Shane, by how the scene you paint of football around the country because I, I, I just wouldn't have thought it was that bad. You mentioned Roscommon there. We talked about, we've just touched on Tip's performance. Tip seemed to be a county that have a lot of good things going on at underage, as do Roscommon. So I would have thought maybe it's just on a surface level that things look pretty good for a lot of these counties. Yeah, I think it's when you peel back the skin. You know, um, you, you, it, there is a lot of problems and they're demographic problems. There are also huge infrastructural issues within the GEA. And the infrastructural issues, I, I've talked about this in the past, is access to knowledge centres, access to top-class coaching, access to to um, facilities, uh, access to education, um, that 
the people on this side of the country or in the big rural, rural urbanised areas don't understand. Um, for example, in, in, in Leitrim, in Roscommon, in, in uh, Offaly, in Westmead, uh, large, large parts again of East Galway, Galway City, NUIG for example, there is absolutely no infrastructure whatsoever that you can actually call it, call it in inverted commas, um, an academy. Okay, or one of these uh, what that seem to be cropping up all over the country, but really they're not these de- developmental centres. Now, to me, uh, uh, an access centre should include education of all forms and coaching of all forms. In Roscommon, we've got one full-time coach, right. okay? Um, I'm not sure what the numbers are in, in, in Offaly and uh, Westmead in these years, but I'm sure they're not too high. In Dublin, there's, there's an excess of 50. Okay, so that's that's huge. Now there is a huge, there's a bigger, there's a bigger um, population, yeah, obviously. Sure. So they need them, but they're they're investing in structures, they're investing in the coaches, they're putting money into the coaches. And we in Roscommon, we put a two hundred and fifty thousand incidentally into a coach that is a bus. So and we don't have that's the truth. We bought a bus in Roscommon. We <laughs> thought it was a, a great investment for the future of football, but we don't have a pitch. The players don't actually have a physical pitch to train on. So what I, I think. To look at it going forward, I think Crow Park need to look at developing a centre of excellence based in the Midlands and possibly incorporating a stadium-type plan as well, an educational centre, campus, maybe in conjunction with the likes of Athlone AIT or somebody like that, that have already proven they can bring uh, sports science and a sports campus on-site in the athletics field and marrying that together. Um, to bring further opportunity for players in areas where access isn't great and transport access isn't good, uh, equality, jobs, employment, everything. And this is something that, that that's a wider bugbear of mine. I, I, I think that the GA as an amateur organisation is, is in great... There's a great chasm now between the Dublins, the Corks, and I would say, actually, I would go further. There's a, a chasm between professionalism and amateurism. And this has been allowed to develop uh, unchecked. And the game in this country, there are professional elite players now playing the game. uh, And there's amateur players trying to keep up with them. And the only way I think that you can rebalance that is by putting infrastructure into areas that are required. Not every county can be competitive. I understand that. Um, and I think most people understand that. But what you can do is you can give every young player in Galway, every young player in Roscommon, every young player in, in Offaly, Westmead, it doesn't matter, in the north, or wherever it may be, take a pocket of them. And you should be able to give them that infrastructure and that access to knowledge and that access to coaching, coaching uh, ability. It's not there at the moment. It's there on a, on a piecemeal basis um, at underage level. Roscommon have done very well. Uh, we've been very lucky to have guys that got involved but they're not full-time coaches and that is required all right well so that's my view yeah some interesting ideas interesting views shane great stuff thank you yeah. okay you can see the level of expectancy coach this is the game you wanted a victory boy it didn't happen what happened oh that makes such an idiot a game that they've been looking forward to for a long time. Where do you where do you think you got it all wrong today? And then Pepe just ruins it for everyone. Thanks a lot, Pepe. You can see the level of expectancy. He <laughs> <laughs> was fucking 
dragon. Sorry, huh? we're not we're out of here. Oh, we're not, are we? We are. Oh. Well, I apologize for that, but obviously, it didn't exactly to win. All right. Well, you digest those ideas about what the GA needs to do for the weaker counties at the top table here on Donegal looked strong for almost an entire half. The cliche is to take one game at a time. Donegal seemed to be going by one quarter at a time at the moment. Yeah. I mean, well, they got 3-9 in total in the second half yesterday, which is pretty impressive. Well, that's a full half then. That, I mean, I think, you know, you're kind of selling them a little short. <laughs> yeah. uh, but certainly the, the way that they go through the gears in the third quarter is uh, pretty impressive. I'm really... Now, Armand may well throw a spanner in the works this Saturday evening, but I'm really looking forward to a Donegal-Monaghan-Ulster final. I mean, I think that's going to be... That's going to be an extremely, extremely physical uh, and entertaining game. I mean, I think there will be two uh, defensive setups in action here, but I actually think it'll just be really, really entertaining. Um, What makes you think that Donegal would be fired up to try to topple the team that bullied them out of their Ulster Championship mm. three in a row dream last year whatever gives you an idea <laughs> I, d- I don't know I, I really, I've gone off on one there yeah. Uh, but yeah I think that'll be that'll be pretty good Murph writes off Armagh yet again well listen I'm writing them off on yeah actually <laughs> why not right why not I mean everyone else's predictions are wrong I'm getting very bullish about how wrong my predictions can be yeah. there's literally no end as we said at the start of the show nobody can predict correctly anymore in anything so yeah. we can just throw anything out there and it doesn't it will never fall back upon us hopefully <laughs> this hurting championship we mentioned has been shaping up to genuinely potentially be better than last year certainly at this stage of last year a lot of great stuff has happened but it's at least been matched by some of the games this time around and incredible stuff between Galway and Kilkenny yes Nicky English is on the line Maris O'Brien formerly of Limerick and of Dublin is in studio. Mars, thanks for popping in. How are you doing, hon? I'm sure you're as excited as everybody else watching the madness yesterday in Tullamore. Even Brian Cody seemed vaguely excited about things. He said, ordinary players, this is about the the crazy end game and Canning and, and Shefflin both saving it for their team. Uh, ordinary players would have found those difficult. Neither of those players are ordinary. They just popped them over the bar. This could be the first time that Cody's ever allowed himself the indulgence of saying that Shefflin is a little bit different from the rest of his hurlers. Yeah, it's an early time for him to acknowledge it at this stage, you know. But um, was there. <laughs> yeah. Did it many years ago. Yeah. Many years ago, but yeah, well, like, what a finish, you know. Like, the two sharpshooters, you know, the two stars, really, and they both get the opportunity to, to score, like, an unbelievable points from the sideline at the end, so... Magical, like who else would you want the ball to break down from both sides? Like, who they did want Shefflin, Kilkenny want Shefflin to get it, Galway would obviously want Canning to get it, like, and without hesitation, to knocked it over the bar, like, when the pressure was really on. Have you ever seen a finish like that? Have you been involved in any games 10 points down with the probably the bigger name team looking like they were going to walk away with it and then get caught? Yeah, but not when there was only about what seven or eight minutes left. Yeah. No, like, you'd see it, like, you'd turn around from half time a couple of times, you'd see it, see a turnaround like that, but like. Like you think Kilkenny are cruising there? No way! Like Kilkenny don't get caught. Like realistically, have they ever been caught like that in a championship match? Oh, you can't recall it. Um, fantastic comeback from Galway. Got the goals at the right time. Got the momentum and fabulous finish. You know. Yeah, Nicky English is with us too. Nicky, I read your piece in the Irish Times this morning, and you're not totally convinced by Galway. You seem to think that Kilkenny maybe let them come back from the dead a little bit here. What do Galway have to do to convince you? <laughs> um, yeah, it, it's like if, if the game finished, you know. At, at 65 minutes uh, on, you, you know, it would be a, a very different, uh, it would be a de- very different uh, story, really. You know, Galway looked to me to have run out of steam. They looked to me to have really run out of ideas as well. And uh, 
then suddenly they just absolutely sensationally got got three goals and uh, other than uh, Johnny Glynn catching the, the ball really there was nothing different uh, to, to what had happened previously but at the same time you know I, I think that 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 will give them a lot of confidence and uh, certainly I'd say it, it, w- it will make them much more difficult to beat and uh, you know they were you know I was very disappointed with Galway last year after the, the previous uh, All-Ireland uh, or Ireland uh, performance, you know, I thought last year they might be able to kick on, but they were very, very disjointed and uncompetitive last year. But certainly, you couldn't say they were they weren't competitive for more, for uh, you know yesterday, and they had plenty of spirit. And uh, you had you know even when they were even when they were beaten, if you like, for want of a better word, uh, David Collins and and Irla Tanyan, particularly in defence, like they were really still hurling away and 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 showing showing plenty of of spirit so now, I'm not convinced in the, in the sense of about Galway in terms of their the pattern or what, what kind of a game plan they had but you know this, it's at the end you know they were sensational in that five minutes and uh, I, I, if I was Brian Cody I, I certainly would be worried Maybe the one thing that Galway brought uh, that was no, that was noticeable as a and it, whether you call it a game plan or whether you call it a frame of mind was a huge amount of physicality and a really a, a desire to make sure that whatever happened, they were going to impose themselves on Kilkenny physically, if even if they even if they they weren't able to keep up with them in a in a hurling perspective. Yeah, there's, there's no doubt about that. You know, Andy Andy Smith absolutely, you know, set that set that tone and early attention from the word go, and that was reminiscent of how they they approached Kilkenny in 2012, and you know, totally the opposite of what they did last year. So yes, there was no question they were. They were up for the fight, and they were competitive, and they were com- combative at, 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 at all stages. But still, you know, if, if before, before they got the, that four minutes of, of goals, they, you know, Kilkenny really had played well during the second half, and really had, you know, and, and you, you couldn't say put them away, but they had, a, you know, they had they had done a, a, a big job on them in that twenty-minute period from say, from forty to sixty-five minutes, really, you know, so. Galway have they had they they have I think the basis of something to work on and and I think that they will you know that combativeness that that's repeatable and you know if they put a bit more witness and you know I, I think that like the ultimately the the recipe really is you know they they have bigger guys up front Niall Burke Johnny Glynn have no doubt will start and uh, you know Kilkenny just weren't able to manage that like they have. They just their defence for whatever reason uh, it's just not the defence of old and uh, probably the team is not the team of old anyway. But the defence certainly, you know, if some if, if the team if a team runs at them, as we saw yesterday in in, in the last few minutes and, and and you know they delivered the delivery to Jonathan Glynn, he 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 can cause trouble for any of them, you know. Yeah, and Galway clearly knew this, Maris. A quote from Anthony Cunningham after the game, he said that we said at halftime there were goals here, which is maybe as as clear uh, a signal that other teams now know that they can actually 
go and maybe Galway are, are traditionally the county that can seem to find a way to do this against Kilkenny, even when Kilkenny are very strong. But oh, you know, you wouldn't have thought there were necessary goals in that defence a couple of years ago. No, there wasn't goals there a couple of years ago. But like they're they're conceding goals now regularly, you know, and they can be got at. Like I suppose, look, you're missing Tommy Walsh from at his pump when he was sweeping up Everton around the backline. He was back around the full backline sweeping up as well, you know. You're missing Brian Hogan there. Didn't start yesterday. Came on at the last few minutes only. And he was real, like uh, the leader there in the middle, like, and he didn't, like, he was, he was immovable there, really. You know, no, no one came down the centre, like, and you saw Joe Canning there for the first goal of the comeback. Connor Cooney's goal caught the ball and thundered straight down the middle of the defence, interchange of passes, and next thing to get the ball, super pass to Connor Cooney, and he put it away. That wasn't happening before. Why is it that Tommy Walsh can't still do what he has been doing? Because he's still good enough to come on as a sub in the forward line. Why is it? almost taking his red now that he's not able to sweep up at the back like he used to well, I, I think it's down to maybe two or three games when he got exposed for pace by Danny Sutcliffe and I think yeah. he, he's really the only one who's done it to him as such and Cody has it in his head now probably that he can be expo- exposed for pace which there's very few Danny Sutcliffe's can do that around the place um, like I think like if they go back to Tommy Walsh and Brian Hogan again Jackie Terrell back in the corner it is a more stable so he ha- you think he has line. been discarded from the back line a little early well yeah, ultimately he has been you know he, he, he's been taken for a few times like by one player like that's f- like very early to be discarding a guy you know really Nicky what do you think um, I was at that match when um, when Danny Sutcliffe did the, did, the, did that job on, uh, on, on Tommy Walsh and uh, you know as uh, Morris said like Danny Sutcliffe is, is a very very serious player um, but at the same time, like I, I thought, Park Walsh was doing very well at number five. So I, I, that 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 to me was 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 the strange bit of it that uh, Joyce Joyce came in at number five, you know, and instead of Park Walsh, I I think I would have uh, I'd still be going with Park Walsh at number five. That he he didn't do a he didn't do a huge amount in the middle of the field. He got his couple of points, but that apart, he didn't do a huge amount. But I I, I don't know. I just like Tom, I think Tommy Tommy has you know. Because of the, the the Danny Sutcliffe, I mean, he I saw him against Offaly. You know, he comes in, came in wing forward as well, but he didn't seem to have a whole lot of confidence either. Uh, you know, his pace issues apart, he didn't seem that you know he didn't seem to be really uh, you know at his best in terms of confidence. But I think yesterday, now he he got on more ball. He got a beautiful ball, a beautiful pass to T.J. Reid. So I think that 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 will do a good lot for his confidence. So. You could possibly consider him again wing back now, based on based on what I saw yesterday, because really Kieran Joyce didn't is not uh, he's no he's no speed merchant either at number five, and you know I think the, the Kilkenny defence is caught for pace. There's no there's no question about that, and uh, now whether I mean whether Lester Ryan or Park Walsh are, are are going to add pace more than Tommy, I'd say that's that's the, the they're the decisions that Brian Cody is going to have to to look at and and. I think God, we are going to be more dangerous uh, next Saturday night, and and it is the Kilkenny defence really that that is going to, I'd say, exercise Brian Cody's mind uh, more than anything, you know, because look, it, it looks uh, very, very like uh, twenty thirteen for them all over again. They're on this merry-go-round now of, you know, they drew with Dublin last year they, in in Port Leash. They had to go back and and. Uh, Come out of Port Leash against Dublin, which they failed to do. They they went backwards from from the draw to the replay. Really, you could say. Um, so they, they certainly, after this morning's draw, you know, it's it's I'd say it's really really important for Kilkenny more than Galway to actually win next Saturday night because I'm not sure at, at the stage the team is at whether they have the stomach to actually 
Hedford hurt, you know, head back into that qualifier system after two, a draw and a replay with Galway. It's, play every Saturday night. It's a, be tall, it's be, be a big ask. Yeah, I mean, just one more question about Tommy Walsh and what's what's happened to him. I mean, it's an extraordinary fall from grace for a guy who did something that we've never seen before. To win, it's nine nine All Stars, I think, from the first year in his t- in the team for Kilkenny. He won an All Star in every single year that he played intercounty hurling up until twenty eleven. And for him to, this is maybe the first crisis of confidence he's ever had. I mean, to, to, to try and deal with that. Uh, Nicky, it must be just it, it's an extraordinary position he's found himself in in the last maybe six months or so Yeah, it, it, it's like it's extraordinary, I mean Tommy Watch is one of I think he's one of my favourite players of all time and even if you go back last year when they were beaten by Cork, like Tommy Watch was still their, their, arguably their best player on the day he, um, no, he, he even got up after they, they had a penalty saved and he got a, he, he had a shot at it um, but you know, that, that, I, you see, I think, you know, he, he, Tommy's not even old, but he, you know, I suppose he has a lot of hurling played, really. And I think as you, as you get a bit older, it, it is possible to actually, to, it is possible to lose confidence and become nearly more nervous than than where, where he, than than you would have felt for a while. I think, you know, hurling, you, hurling comes in stages for players, really. When you start off, you're you're nervous, but you're you're prepared to make mistakes because you don't really know that you are making mistakes. But then for a while, I think it becomes, you become settled and you know what you're doing and your body is well able to do that. But then as you get older, you know, you might have niggles, you might have injuries, you might be losing a bit of pace. And at that stage, it becomes nearly more nerve-wracking than it was when you started off. And uh, if, if, if you happen to lose your, pay, your place at that stage, which Tommy has, then you actually, you know, you're overdoing it and you're rushing it to try and either prove your work to the manager or to try and get yourself back into the, the correct frame of mind. And there was a bit of that going on uh, with Tommy against Offaly, you know, where he was really working unbelievably hard and then, you know, tr- trying things that he may not have been trying to do if he wasn't he wasn't pushing it. And it wasn't just going right for him. So, you know, that, it, it, it's, it, it can happen. Oh, and that's, the, that's the reality of it. And uh, But I, I think yesterday, you know, he, he scored a good point, gave a great ball to TJ Reid. Everything he tried to do yesterday was 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 working for him. So I think he's he'd be. I think Tommy Walsh would be would be better mentally after yesterday and confidence wise than he has been since last year. All right. Well, just to talk a little bit about the phrase that Nicky used earlier on, which was re- what's repeatable for uh, from a Galway point of view. The physicality clearly is Morris. Uh, also, the performance of Joe Canning for any other player, you'd probably say no way could he do something like that two weeks in a row. But um, the question may be coming into this game was how Galway can best use Joe Canning. Is the question for next week, how best can Kilkenny cope with Canning in that position? Yeah, um, look, Joe was outstanding yesterday and he'd probably playing him centre-forward was a masterstroke because he won a mountain of puckouts. You know, he, caught, he must have caught five or six puckouts off Jackie Turl. Um, sensational. Came streaming down the middle a couple of times. Like, he'd, overall, he didn't score a whole pile, you know. He, he put his two penalties away, but like, Joe, like, what did he get from play? Three points from play, I think, was it? And um, like Joe will be, Joe will be looking to get put the more ball over the bar than that, you know. So I think he can even improve on it at, yeah. that from next week. Um, um, the two guys either side of him played well as well, you know. So look, Joe, Joe's the marquee guy that's, that's there really. Um, I think he can perform that again. It's up to Kilkenny. Who are they going to put centre back next week? Are they going to leave Jackie Turtle there? Debatable. Like I, I think they should go ro- rotate him back to the corner again and Brian Hogan in. But look, okay. There's a pace issue there as well. Yeah, and this this is the issue now again that there are question marks over Kilkenny. 
you know, at the right, the very heart of the team, you know, centre field and centre back. And we wouldn't have been asking these questions if Galway hadn't come back like this. So I presume that the fact that we're asking the questions means Brian Cody and probably the Kilkenny hurling public are asking them as well, Mars. Yeah, definitely. Like the, the, the only standout performance in the Kilkenny halfback line was Killian Buckley. Mm. Like really held his own, played fantastic. Could he be an option? He has. He, he's early, he's very good and he has the pace. Would it be an option to put him in centre-back to match Joe Canning? Like he's the only guy that can match him both ways. So it, it's whether Cody is willing to make that kind of a change at this stage of the season and put a guy who has like, played very well at number seven all along, but where he's going to make that kind of a change. Because it, it, like, it is a position that's vital to their, their cause at the moment. The draw for the qualifiers was made this morning. We've alluded to it earlier on. The losers of this one play tip uh, in those qualifiers. I'm sure Eamon O'Shea could have maybe asked for a, a, to catch a break at some stage. Just like there, there were a couple of easy draws there, and Eamon O'Shea has avoided them two years in a row now. The other standout fixture is Wexford against Clare. Um, this was a, an interesting fixture last year. And based on Clare's performance against Cork, could we see the All-Ireland champions tumbling out in the first round? In the qualifiers there's a little bit of soul searching to do don't they yeah. they're going to have to turn it around quick they were very dead against Cork um, look, they were, look they played poor last year against Cork in the semi-final as well um, they're going to have to turn it around they're going to have to be good to, to beat Wexford look Wexford they pushed Dublin but they never really challenged to beat Dublin so they probably looking at it I thought they had gone and improved a bit from last year but maybe they're still the same so They'll need a serious performance to beat Clare if, if Clare turn up. You know, I don't see Clare getting themselves caught by Wexford. You know, realistically, Wexford are improving, but if Clare have any ambitions to win All-Ireland, they should be pulling through there. All right, in the meantime, we're all looking forward to next Saturday night in Tullamore. 7pm is throwing time for the replay. Galway against Kilkenny. Morris, great to have you in. Nicky, thanks very much. No problem. Thanks, Thanks guys. very much, Ron. Hairdryer is, is a metaphor for the current of hot air generated by various blasts of temper. The hairdryer with which uh, Alex Ferguson was famously associated. He threw a hairdryer, I think, at David Beckham. Oh, he threw a hairdryer at David Beckham. Uh, in the, is that right? No, 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 no. And that's just about it from us, I think. Oh, we, actually, we can't finish up, Mark, without an honourable mention for the golf because two things. Firstly, the Irish Open looked incredible at yeah. Fort Island over the weekend. So well done to all for organising. We've been talking to people who were at it and they said it was incredible. No problem ferrying people out on trains there. 28,000 people. You get out to the course. Everything's comfortable. You get back. It's all amazing. It did help that the weather was good and there was an Irish challenge for three of the four mm. days. It's probably fair to say, but that's brilliant stuff. Amazing and event, yep. on the very front page of the Irish Times... Stephanie Meadow, Irish golfer, who was in contention for the US Open last night. Yeah, turned professional uh, last Sunday week, I think your last Monday week, and um, in her first ever professional event, finishes third in the Women's US Open on the same track that Martin Keimer uh, won the US Open a couple of weeks ago, uh, Pinehurst number two. So, extraordinary achievement. Uh, she played a, uh, a pre-tournament round with uh, Michelle Wee, who ended up winning the tournament. And, uh, yeah, I mean, she's moved to the US when she was 14 so this and with golf very much in mind uh, she's in um, university over there has set the world alight uh, in university golf over there which is NCAA golf which is a pretty big deal over there and um, yeah I mean it's an extraordinary achievement by her and the sort of achievement as well where you're thinking right well she's and this is the first time she's come to maybe national attention but you look at her record she's won consistently consistently at college's level which is a big thing that's a major feeder group for uh, women's professional golf so um, yeah certainly one to look out for a brilliant achievement it's all so positive Murph what's going on we're all supposed to be jaded sports fans you know there's drugs corruption diving concussion everything's way too happy at the moment we have to do some searing expose of something tomorrow just to 
keep back and even keel. You know, you know what's basically going on here. What? The sun is shining, so we're all. <laughs> it's just raining tomorrow. It's like, well, yeah, it's a flash in the pan. The hurling will be crap next week. Yeah, a couple of dead rubbers in the last games. Ulster Championship football is boring. It's nah, come on. Actually, wait, no, the sun's still shining. I, I better wait until it's going to break tomorrow, and then we're all going to be depressed. So it's fun. happy days, everybody. And thanks so much for listening to us. You can tune in to the Irish Times Second Captain's World Cup podcast. That's out there already for you. Ken was in great form as he has been throughout the tournament over in Brazil. We were talking to Miguel as well about Argentina and Belgium. We were looking ahead to Holland, Chile, which is particularly exciting. That may have been played by the time you're listening to this and hopefully it lived up to the hype as every other game seems to have done so far. irishtimes.com forward slash podcast. Get onto that page. Get a listen to some of the other amazing podcasts that are out there. You can follow us on Twitter at Second Captains, facebook.com forward slash Second Captains and listen to us by whatever means you're listening to us now, whether that's on the irishtimes.com forward slash Second Captains or on SoundCloud, on I was about to say WhatsApp, Murph. On my uh, social media, jumping around in my head, <laughs> and, uh, mixing me up. But the podcast, podcast Republic, Republic app and, for Android, and of course iTunes. There's so many options out there, Murph. Thank you. Thank you, Will. Thanks very much for listening. We'll chat to you soon. Which one is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home. Those 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 boys. <laughs>